Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, I'm your host Norm, and on this episode we're going to do some games of late, talk about what's trending, have a look at some new releases and some crowdfunding projects, and this is a topic episode, and we're going to go back to the Mechanics series, and we're going to talk about some push-your-luck games. Right? Try it. Again. Just one more time. Again, roll the dice. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by... Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They're the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award, presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. Let's get into some games of late. And uh, it's funny because uh, I'm looking at the two games I want to talk about, and they're both Days of Wonder. So the first game I want to talk about is uh, Five Tribes. Uh, that's designed by Bruno Catala and, like I said, Days of Wonder. And uh, f- <laughs> Five Tribes, uh, it's one of those games that's been around for a while. Let's see. Uh, it has been around since 2014. And um, it's, uh, it's been in my library forever. It's, it was one of the first titles I bought. And, uh, I mean, thematically speaking, um, it's got this, uh, this uh, Sultan... Uh, um, uh, Tales of the Arabian Night, Aladdin kind of feel to it, um, as far as the theme goes. And uh, how it works is it's so brilliant. Um, it's this five by six tile, uh, randomly generated tile uh, um, village, right, or map. And uh, what you're going to do is you're going to use the Moncala system, and this tile is going to get populated with uh, a number of meeples and a different, I think five different color meeples that represent different characters, and we'll get into that. But uh, the, uh, the Moncala system is when you're picking up uh, from one area, you pick up all of them, and as you orthogonally travel, you're dropping one of these items, and then in this case is, are the colored, different colored meeples, one at a time, and when you finish on the tile, uh, with the last remaining uh, meeple, you collect all of the similar color meeples. There has to be a similar color of, of the last one that you dropped to make a legal move. But you pick up all of those meeples. And depending on the different um, uh, colors that you pick up, you can uh, eliminate other meeples, the, the uh, assassin. Um, the, uh, you can generate revenue. You can uh, go to the... the uh, the market, you can go find a genie or uh, a genie card. So there's all these different things that you can do that uh, develop victory points for you for the end of the game. Now, um, if your brain wants to plan things, this ain't the game for you. Because uh, even at two-player, the, when the board comes back to you, everything has changed. So you have to kind of not rely on the fact that Here's my plan, and the other, and get upset that the other person's messed it up because they've done this Moncala move. But you have it's such a tactical game where you have to pay attention and you have to see what develops or what is uh, what you're able to see before the other people see because uh, you get into a, a, a bid uh, uh, initiative order because if you see something that is integral to the success of your the way you're playing and uh, you you want first dibs on it. You, you can pay some money for the initiative order. So uh, that's how that works. Now, like I said, there's a market uh, where uh, there's a set collecting that is uh, 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 connected to the victory points that you make at the end of the game. And uh, yeah, this is such... A, and this is just the base game. Like, I've got 
uh, one of the expansions, and I think it's extra, uh, extra genies. So, yeah, uh, five tribes. Fundamentally, one of uh, one of the go-to favorites uh, that we uh, that I have going on here. So that, like I said, uh, Bruno Cathalov and uh, five, uh, Days of Wonder. Now the next game is uh, Quadropolis, designed by Francois Gandon. I, I hopefully am uh, pronouncing that properly. And like I said, Days of Wonder published. And this one is, uh, what's the date here? 2016. So a little newer, but still, I mean, considering board game years, this thing's a relic. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, uh, this is, in all sense and purposes, a city-building game uh, with the uh, usage of tile uh, uh, placements. Uh, um and uh, where you're getting these tiles is from this market. And the way the market works is, now here, let me back up a bit. You have your own tableau um, that is a four by four grid. And in that four by four grid, the rank and files are numbered one to four. Now consider that one to four because we're gonna talk about that, comes, uh, comes into this game a lot. Now, um, considering that, we go to the market and the market itself is a four by four grid, and uh, those are the tiles that you get to choose to put into your tableau. And uh, like all good city builders, the tiles that you put in, uh, depending on what they are, if they're apartments or if they're businesses or if they're uh, parks, uh, are point um, generating depending on how the tile itself generates points. So um, uh, parks, uh, of course, need to be beside residentials to score you points. And uh, so with that point scoring system, you have a legend beside you that you can see how it's working. But what I think is such an ingenious approach to the, I would say, the, the, the tile drafting um, in comparison to uh, how you... Uh, select now you have four I would call them workers you have four uh, chits uh, that are numbered one to four now when you put these on the board on the on the outside on the perimeter um, you're indicating what rank and file column you're picking from and from the edge that you put your worker your little number is how far into this grid is the tile that you're selecting. So if I say, let's say on the right-hand side of this grid and second from the top, I put number two, that means that the second row and the second column uh, uh, moving away from my, my number is the tile that I pick. Here's the cool part. After I pick, I put this piton or I put this, this marker in place that tells the next player from this rank and file position you cannot select any tiles so <laughs> i'm not i haven't gotten so good enough as a player to um, be able to choose the most optimal tile and block the opponent uh, when i do it it's just by chance so don't take that as a uh, high level playing choice um uh, fluke so yeah, this I I really thought that was cool the way that you choose your now. We're not done with this one two three four. Once I pick that tile, I have to put it in my tableau in a rank or file column that has uh, that has the number two in it. And here's another cool part: my grid of uh, four by four sixteen um, is also divided into four different areas because that might be connected to some of the points. I believe it's the uh, uh, administration buildings, the green tiles, right? If you could put one in each, it's a point, uh, point maximizer. So there's just so much cool connectivity to this game that uh, I think if you like, and it plays fast, right? Uh, we played three player and we can get it done inside an hour easy. And uh, so if you like your city building, then uh, yeah, you're going to have some fun with this one and tile laying and, I mean, just, yeah, the, the, whole, the whole puzzle to it was so fun, so fun. So that was Quadropolis by Days of Wonder. This 
This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. Hey, and welcome back. Let's have a look at see uh, and, and see what's trending, according to BGG. And uh, the first thing that I'm looking at here is Arc Nova, designed by Matthias Wig and published by Führerland Spiel. And I think this is a Capstone Games import. Uh, well done. They're doing such a great job bringing in a whole bunch of cool, cool games. And, uh, uh, you know, what is this? So Arc Nova. I'm going to read the description provided by the publisher here. Because uh, I've seen this all over the place, but I haven't really done any homework on it. So let's have a look at it. Uh, in Arc Nova, you will plan and design a modern scientifically managed zoo with the ultimate goal of owning the most successful zoological establishment you will build enclosures, accommodate animals, and support conservation projects all over the world. Specialists and unique buildings will help you in achieving this goal. Each player has a set of five action cards to manage their gameplay, and the power of an action is determined by the slot the card currently occupies. The cards in question are cards, which uh, allow you to gain new uh, zoo cards, animal sponsors, and conservation project cards. Uh, you can build... That allows you to build standard or special enclosures and kiosks and pavilions. Animals allows you to accommodate animals in your zoo. Association allows, you, allows your association workers to carry out different tasks. And the last one is sponsors. Allows you to play a sponsor card in your zoo or to raise money. Uh, there are 255 cards featuring animal specialists, special enclosures, and conservation projects each with a special ability, are at the heart of Arc Nova. Use them to increase the appeal and scientific reputation of your zoo and collect conservation points. Wow. So there's card drafting, there's hand management, there's an income system. Uh, the theme is cool, and I completely trust uh, the publisher on this one. And uh, yeah, yeah, I can understand why it's trending uh, this looks like a great game. Absolutely. And uh, with 255 cards, uh, it smells like there's a lot of variability. So I like that. Um, it, it's, I'm looking at a few pictures here, and uh, it's got a big table presence, which, uh, which is interesting. I mean, I'm not against that, but yeah. So Arc Nova. Uh, uh, did I say that right? Uh, Arc Nova. Cool. Yeah, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep that in mind. Uh, the next thing that's trending is every time I see this title, I keep thinking of the Matt Damon movie. <laughs> but uh, is the Great Wall, and uh, this one's published by Awaken Realms, and uh, Awaken Realms has a pretty good track record. So, what is the Great Wall? Uh, it's <laughs> must be popular. It's 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 high up on the trending uh, uh, scale there. So let's have a look. So the Great Wall is a new uh, asymmetric worker-soldier placement game with the engine-building themes and a twist in form uh, of a constantly attacking AI, the Mongolian Horde, uh, that requires players to sometimes cooperate in order to defeat it. This is a new major board game from Awakened Realms. Uh, players will control ancient clans in China trying to defend uh, invading uh, Mongolian hordes and build a great wall while every player will want to win by earning VP uh, which means honor they also need to sometimes cooperate to defend against the hordes each clan will be asymmetric uh, th uh, though uh, through its chosen leader uh, which is a resource production starting uh, situation with the workers and this, asymmet this asymmetry will increase as the game progresses uh, by gaining advisors and unique skills and creating unique engines. Uh, in The Great Wall, 
The players take the role of generals defending the wall against the, Mong the Mongol horde. Uh, the game is played over a series of turns called years, each divided in four parts called seasons. Hey, that sounds familiar. Uh, during spring, new barbaric hordes invade the fields in front of the Great Wall and prepare to launch their assault. Summer is the time when generals prepare uh, for the assault and mobilize their forces. During fall, players take their turns playing command cards, resolving their effects and activating locations to gain various benefits. In winter, the last layer of defense is activated. Then the hordes try to assault the walls. During the course of the game, players will create their own unique engines based on their clan's strength, as well as interact with other players during all phases of the game, trying to get the most honor points that can be gained uh, in a lot of different ways. And at the end of the game, the player with the most honor wins. Uh, sounds very Euro. Sounds, uh, yeah. This is interesting with this competitive cooperative game. Uh, what I've seen, similarly speaking, in regards to this theme, is uh, uh, CO2 by Vital Lacerda, where uh, you're not being invaded by the Mongol hordes, but you're be being invaded by the fact that you're killing the planet with the... Uh, with all these bad energy choices. So, uh, yeah, I, I love asymmetry. I love being able to start off completely different and, and choose your own path. So, hmm, wow. I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have to put a little, uh, little want-to-play indicator on this one because, yeah, I, that, this is a game that I, I'm... No wonder it's trending. It sounds so good. The Great Wall. Uh, published by Awaken Realms. And uh, I'm not going to say the designers because I don't want to embarrass myself in the mispronunciation of these uh, wonderful designers. So, yeah, The Great Wall. Hi. If you like the content we're creating and the podcast episodes we're producing, please leave a happy rating on the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift and would also help others find our podcast when they search for board game podcasts. And if you have the time, check out our new YouTube channel where we have new content every few days. Just search Bridge City Board Gamers on YouTube. Thanks, eh? Hi there, how you doing? Uh, this is Cardboard Conjecture. We're going to have a quick peek at the new releases. And the first one I'm looking at uh, is, uh, <laughs> it's kind of bothersome because now I know I'd have to go spend some money because it's Destiny's Sea of Sand. And this is Destiny's published by Lucky Duck Games. And it's the uh, QR code driven choose your own adventure uh, uh, um, kind of uh, old school dungeon diver kind of uh, 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 fantasy adventure theme. And uh, yeah, Sea of Sand. Uh, I, I'm just going to guess that uh, they've, they, they're starting to master this QR code system. And I've, I own Destinies, and I got into it, but uh, uh, got distracted by a whole bunch of other games that I wanted to play too. But uh, I quite enjoyed it. It was a, uh, I think I compared it to Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth, um, but different that it was sort of like, Ah, I don't know. I don't want to say the light version, but it's a different version of, uh, of the fantasy flight game kind of uh, fantasy app-driven system. Um, I, uh, I want to see, yeah. I, and they've got some cool downloadable content. So uh, I think they're following the same model as they set up with, uh, with, with, their, with their, yeah, Chronicles of Crime. I had to go over my shoulder and look at it. The Chronicles of Crime series. And uh, yeah, yeah, good on them. Um, I, I have to pull this one up because the, um, the theme made me chuckle something fierce when I read their little tag. So this is Factory 42, designed by Timo uh, Multamok. I'm sorry. <laughs> Published by Dragon Dawn Productions, and uh, hear me out. This 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 kind of this appealed to me. It made me laugh right away. 
Uh, Factory 42 is a Euro-style board game for two to five players. The game tells the story of the work week of Marxist dwarves in a steampunk industrial setting, placing the player in the role of the factory overseers. It combines worker placement and a cube tower to create a resource management puzzle. Factory 42 is a cutthroat competitive game with elements of cooperation and deals involving economics, fantasy, industry, and negotiation with a pinch of satire. Um, (laughs) Yeah, a little pinch there. Uh, Marxist dwarves in a steampunk industrial setting. Wow. Talk about bending a whole bunch of different perspectives. Um, I don't know what to say about this. Uh, I mean, the the tag got me for sure, but I, I'm kind of confused here. Like, uh, um, it's a competitive game with elements of cooperation. Now, <laughs> isn't that kind of contradictory? Um, but again, maybe it's that whole semi-co-op thing. I'm not sure, but... Uh, maybe I'll have to look into it a little bit more, but uh, yeah, Factory Forty Two. If you want, if you want to play a game as a uh, some Marxist dwarves in a steampunk industrial setting, then I think I found it for you. Now we can't move on until we have a little peek at some crowdfunding stuff, and uh, I've been seeing on Twitter a lot of attention being being brought to this title, and that's uh, Dom Pierre. And uh, Dom Pierre is designed by uh, Costa Rola, and it's published by Pileup Games and R&R Games. And uh, I have no idea what this game is about, but I believe I saw some heavier content creators talking about this one. And it's a uh, it's an economic farming game. Uh, it uses action points, contracts, and variable player powers with some worker placement. Okay, I, I'm paying attention now. So, let's see what they have to offer. Now, the best way for me to understand what a game's about is I'm going to look at the uh, description here provided by the publisher. And uh, I'm already getting a sense. The, uh, my first instinct is Dom Pierre and I'm thinking Perignon. So I'm, we're, we might have a wine game. So let's have a look. At the end of the 17th century, a French Benedictine monk in charge of the cellar at the Haute-Vierre's Abbey made an important contribution to differentiate wines from that region. As a result, it became possible to produce wines of superior quality, particularly in white wines made from black grape varieties. While Dom Pierre Perignon initially felt the sparkling of the wine was a negative feature the uh the consequent increase in both quality and quantity created the path that led to the appreciation of the recognition of champagne so we have a wine game here and uh i am all for that uh i'm I'm not going to get in too much i mean there's some more description there you can read that on your own but uh yeah uh, I like this idea of a um, wine economics game. I I have not played. Now again, I'm right away. I'm going to compare it to what I know. Uh, I I love uh, my Viticulture Essentials Edition uh, edition with the Tuscany expansion. That's a long title, I know. Um, I I love that game. Uh, I have not yet played Vinos by Vital Lacerda. But I understand that is a very superior game. So, here we go. Um, now, it's going to be a while till it hits the shelves here. So, maybe, you know, follow this game a little bit. I, I'm, I'm interested. I'm curious. So, yeah. That is our exploration into the crowdfunding area. So, yeah. Dom Pierre. I'm very curious about this one. So, yeah. Another wine economics game. Can't go wrong. This episode is supported by the incredible team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team to ensure their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer, new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at breakoutsask.com. 
at Breakout Escapes and Board Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Hey, and welcome back to Cardboard Conjecture. We're going to get into our topic for this episode, and the topic, we're coming back to the Mechanics series, and we're going to talk about Push Your Luck Games, or uh, also known as Press Your Luck Games. But uh, before we get into the, we're going to explain, kind of try to define the mechanic, and then we're going to try to uh, differentiate different uses and and approaches to this mechanic, and then follow it up with, uh, we're just going to go through a list of games that I'm familiar with, uh, with the push your luck mechanic and uh, talk about uh, the experience, the type of game it is, and the recommendation of it. So for me, uh, when it comes to push your luck games, uh, uh, I'm the youngest of the family. So for me, growing up with two older brothers, push your luck game was seeing how far I could agitate my two older brothers to the point where they would turn around and they would come and attack me and uh, beat the crap out of me. So, you know, the l- typical little brother thing. Um, so that's my understanding of Push Your Luck Games, where I know that there's, uh, there's uh, what, what I'm getting out of it is the enjoyment of the agitation, but at the tipping point, where's, how far can I go until it all falls apart and I am adrenaline gland, fight or flight, fleeing the situation. So that's my experiential concept of Push Your Luck Games. So if we adapt that and uh, look at board games, um, uh, we, we know it to be um, that idea in the mechanic of I can continue on, I can, I mean, my selection, my next choice is do I either stop and take the resources I have or do I continue and gamble? Now here's the thing with Push Your Luck is that there's a, there's a lot of um, risk and randomness, right? Um, and that a lot of people that play board games, the Euro type of players, don't appreciate randomness. Now, randomness used in the, in the proper context and in the proper uh, synergistic connection with what you're trying to accomplish uh, can be a great mechanic. Now, um, uh, as a teacher, I also know as uh, push your luck being uh, uh, having a discussion with a teenager <laughs> when they're trying to negotiate something out of you in, in regards to, you know, handing assignments in after the due date. So that's another angle I have with push your luck. And it's fun to play that game. It's enjoyable. Um, so um, let's continue with this idea that... Uh, um, if you, it's the idea that in board games, players have to face the choice of accepting the current gains they have in the game uh, and benefits or to risk it all for more. And sometimes, like I said, at the, at the risk of luck and randomness. So that, I think that is a great uh, summation of what this mechanic, uh, the explanation of what this mechanic is. Um, in town here, we have a, a radio show that has a push-your-luck game on the radio called uh, Break the Bank, where uh, you phone in and you you risk nothing. You phone in and you get to first vault that opens up, you get this much money. Do you keep that money or do you press, you know, do you say, okay, I'm risking it all to open the next vault. And if there's a, it's all gone. So that is the, the, the quintessential uh, uh, application of this mechanic. So... Uh, and of course, what they get out of it is advertisement. And um, so, uh, in most cases, like I said, push your luck. You focus on what you need and and uh, what you're going to gain. And uh, you you always analyze at what cost is the risk worth the reward. And uh, a lot of the times, um, it it can be if you have the and like. There's some that approach this with the analytical mind of kind of like card counting. How many of these are in my options? How many have been revealed? How many do I know uh, are left in, in my, the, the pool of selections? And you'll see a lot of them working that analytical side. But then you'll get the side like me, the qualitative side, that just goes with that gut feeling. And sometimes the gut feeling pays off and sometimes the, it, it is an absolute um, misinterpretation of the information. So, um, yeah. Uh, what I think a lot of people get out of this game, and I notice from a, from a psychological uh, uh, observational point of view, is um, um, the, the, the ultimate stress, right, of that, 
of that tipping point when you understand if what you risked paid off or if it all fell apart. And in both cases, the emotional, um, now I'm not going to say how we perceive it as a good thing or a bad thing, but the emotional consequence is always dramatic, positively or negatively. So yeah, I've seen people step away from the table with arms in the air cheering and people step away from the table with hands to the face going, ah, game over, right? Um, so yeah, that's the, I keep thinking, I keep thinking Spider-Man with great risk comes great reward, right? I mean, that's not it. And a lot of people are cringing right now and, and uh, yeah, boo, boo, Norm, bad quote. Um, okay, so the, for me, I think um, it's always comes down to gains versus losses and what's my goal, right? And uh, in that whole thing, like I said, there's so much excitement, so much tension um, and, and a choice uh, to decide what is usually controlled by randomness and chance. So you can either go, okay, I'm not going to let the idea of luck determine what I have right now because I've, I, <laughs> I've expended so much emotional, uh, let's see, uh, uh, commodity to, this, to these choices that I, I'm done. I have, to t I have to have a sip of coffee and, uh, you know, evaluate now my situation. So, yeah, there's, now there's um, uh, uh, the positive results um, of, like, that's what I think is the big one for everybody in that, I could, we'll call it first Canadians, we know this as the TSN tipping point. Um, you, in a choice in a game, you could create that tipping point by this enormous accumulation of gains and wealth. But, again, there's that risk. So, uh, I, I, in, my, in my kind of homework looking into this, uh, I, I stumbled upon the, uh, the idea of, of keys to winning in a push your luck kind of situation. And I had mentioned, I mean, in this whole discussion, I had kind of mentioned them already. Uh, we're going to pause for a sip of coffee. Now, um, I, I found three keys to winning in push your luck. The first one is you need to balance the risk to reward, right? Now, if that is your gut feeling or if that is your card counting, whatever method you use, you need to you need to consider that right um, now. Uh, the second one is uh, always keep the uh, your objective in mind, right? Always understand what am I trying to get because you could get caught up in that emotional roller coaster of the that push your luck moment, right? It's always in the moment. It's like after the fact, all that emotion's gone. So it's in that moment. You need to uh, keep an objective mind. Uh, in looking towards w why, what, what does this play towards, right? Um, so you got you to gotta separate that emotional part a little bit, right? Um, and uh, like I said, that last one is, uh, is the possibility. Is there, is there even a chance? You need to see if the odds are on your side. Uh, if, it's a, if it's a slim Right, chance that I mean, if you even look at the results of the discard pile or whatever the uh, already selected options are, um, you might even immediately evaluate that there is no chance because there are no things or objects or items or or rewards in the the selection pool that uh, attribute to your success. So you need to pay attention to that too. So yeah, those three things. Um, now. <laughs> Uh, me being a, uh, um, I teach a lot of psychology uh, in the past and uh, high school level, and um, I'm always uh, I'm always looking at uh, physiologically, psychologically, soci like the whole social component, um, and uh, I kind of look at this consequences of risk taking because push your luck is all about risk taking. So um, the consequences of risk taking, um, the first one is. Your, your fight or flight, the adrenaline gland, has a lot to do with this mechanism. It definitely does, because I don't know one person who um, isn't amped up in the moment of uh, the actualization of this choice, right? Everybody's focused. Even those ones who aren't active in the selection are focused because it could attribute to their 
success or failure in the game as well. So yeah, major risks, the brain, when there's major risk, the brain releases adrenaline. And that, that's what gives you that rush, right? That fight or flight. And, uh, and then afterwards, um, th there's the release of dopamine, which is um, that whole idea of the pleasure response, right? Um, the easiest way to explain this, uh, roller coasters, right? If you are on a roller coaster, um, your brain is going to uh, assess the risk that, oh, this is a dangerous activity, so it's going to release adrenaline. And that's when the muscles tighten up, and that's when you start, you know, you start gripping things, and that's when the face, all every muscle in your body has a physiological reaction to this choice. Now, if your brain decides that, oh, that was a lot of fun, then it releases dopamine, and uh, dopamine is that pleasure drug. Now, if your brain uh, is uh, is unhappy with your choices and and wants to um, punish you for those choices. Um, I believe without even going for, I think it's serotonin that your brain releases. And that's when you are, have a squeezy stomach. That's when you motion sickness. Yeah. So, um, there's that angle, but we're, we're focused on the dopamine part here. Um, and, uh, yeah, when you successfully choose a push your luck option, you get a very, uh, uh, a, a, a pleasant, um, <laughs> pleasure response of this choice, even when it's negative. Sometimes it's, it's, I see people sm with big smiles on their face when they've lost everything, right? Cause it's a game. Remember it's a game. Um, so, uh, once again, with the psychology angle, people's personalities come into play here. So you, you will, I mean, to me, I look at this and again, it's, it's, this is my subjective, uh, opinion and view of this, but um, people who are, uh, there's the, there's the, the duality of the calm versus aggressive, uh, the intelligent versus the impulsive, right? Uh, not to say that impulsive people aren't intelligent, right? I'm saying the impulsive versus intelligent is, uh, if something's cool, there's people who are going to grab for it. If there's something cool, there's people who are going to look at it and, you know, take their time and assess it where, you know, the, the people who look and the people who touch and grab, right? So those are the two personality types. And I've seen, um, again, not all the time, but predominantly speaking, those uh, um, people of the aggressive side versus the calm side are going to push their luck more times than not. And the same thing with the impulsive side. They're good. Me? Oh, I mean, it's a game. If I lose if I lose it all, huh, okay, then I guess I have to try to recover from the, you know the bottom rung of the of the of the game order, right? That's fun too. So it depends. The personality is very integral with this whole idea as well. Um, now, um, the just to touch base because I'm you know psychology geek. At the center of the uh, of the brain is the amygdala, and the amygdala is. It deals, it's the part of your brain that deals with evaluating risk, right? When you, uh, let's stop for a little coffee sip. So the amygdala is the decision part of your brain that gets all the information and then goes, yes or no. Um, does this roller coaster look safe? Does it look fun? What, right? There's all this processing. It's the, it's the, it's the center core of this hard drive in your brain that makes that decision because it's, it's you know, as far as your brain goes, um, it's always critical decision when it comes to risk taking. So um, that being said, uh, touching one, before we get into talking about the games, um, touching onto one part, uh, and I remember seeing this in, in an episode of Brain Games. I love that show. I think it's on Netflix. And uh, they were doing an experiment um, based on not, they used the push your luck game, but the experiment was about priming. Um, if you can prime someone's brain before they make a choice, uh, they wanted to look at that. So how the experiment worked was they played a push your luck game. I forget what it was, but it was essentially that idea of push your luck, right? But what they were looking at was uh, different priming. So one group um, listened to music that was calm, meditative, relaxing, and then they played this game. The other group listened to uh, double kick drum speed metal, uh, like guitar 
kind of you know chainsaw on a on a tin shed kind of sound um uh with an accelerated beat listen to that before the push your luck game and then they played the game and i'll let you guess what group pushed their luck more times than not than the, yeah it was the group that was primed with um all of this aggressive uh adrenaline um fight or flight uh, uh, triggering music and uh, now I think the results came to be it's not not out of balance one way or another but it was just this idea of priming where you can uh, um, uh, control your percep perception or your attitude before going into this choice making now again if we're playing can't stop and I'm talking about all this huge psychology uh, for those who don't know, Can't Stop is a dice rolling game where they use the idea of four dice, but you can evaluate them uh, up and down, so rank and file and diagonally. And you, you with the addition of those uh, uh, formulas of addition, you get the results of uh, numbers between 2 and 12. Now, uh, uh, statistically speaking, 2, 3, 4 and 10, 11, 12 are much more difficult to hit on that kind of... 2d6 mechanism um so uh as well you know what i'm talking about can't stop let i continue to explain it's the kind of perceive this idea of from left to right you have those numbers and then the vertical numbers going up now as i said uh those outside ranges of this bell curve um, are more difficult so to summit this this uh track you need less numbers than to summit let's say the heart of this track which is six seven eight those numbers go probably three times higher because of the frequency of those numbers being rolled. Now, in this push your luck game, as far as the psychology and that whole kind of background that I just told you, in this game, I'm 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 rolling before I'm even thinking. The amygdala has <laughs> the, my amygdala has no chance in this game because I'm picking up the dice. If I've if I've locked down any of those three, six, seven, or eight, I'm rolling until it's ridiculously crazy on, on put the push your luck and then I'll stop. And, and a lot of the times I'll tank, but in those rare occasions, I could immediately lock down two, two tracks, which is kind of, you know, out of the gates, ridiculous. So that being said, let's move into some uh, games that are uh, highly kind of uh, recognized as, as, exemplars of this push your luck all right so if we're gonna have a look at some games i already started with can't stop and i think i think that can't stop is one of the the the, the best exemplars of uh push your luck uh, kind of streamed down to its essential elements of mechanism now uh i've seen thematically speaking seen people use it as a mountain climbing experience and some people just have games i think the the standard one is a stop sign idea and uh, uh, that's the idea of putting pylons down where, oh, you have to stop here and mark your progress. Um, now, yeah, to me, Can't Stop is, was one of the best ones. And, and uh, that's a Sid Saxon game. And I think there's been, oh, wow, a bunch of additions. Now, um, if, you, if you really like that, this idea of the, you know, that push your luck adrenaline mechanism, I'd say uh, play Can't Stop. Now, they have it on Board Game Arena. And every time I play it on Board Game Arena, uh, that game just gets my adrenaline going. Yeah, like I said, if, if I've got six, seven, or eight in my set, I'm clicking that button before my brain can tell me to, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, so, yeah, and of course, when, when, the, when the results are, are not statistically lining up to what, you know, standards are, that's when my response is usually, oh, come on, there's no way, right? But yes, yes way. So, yeah, can't stop. Now, uh, I'm just going to kind of um, burn through some games here and just talk like King of Tokyo, uh, there's a can stop. The King of Tokyo, for those who don't know, you're you're the big mon you're you know the big monsters attacking the small cities, and uh, where the push your and it's a Yahtzee mechanism. But the push your luck element in this game isn't the the um, results. The push your luck on the results of the dice. Um, sometimes the push your luck results is how long can you. Um, we, you know, we last in this position and in King of Tokyo, 
the person who moves into the city, it's now one versus many. And uh, but if you can last there, the rewards are the great. If you can last, because everyone is attacking you now. So uh, there's King of Tokyo, King of New York. Um, yeah, fun games, absolutely fun games. There's uh, the and again, um, what I'm discovering too with the push your luck games where. If you risk it all and burnt, you're done and the game's over. You don't want to play another hour and a half knowing that you've not won the game. So in this case, uh, I think that uh, uh, the push your luck games, the shorter the better, right? Um, okay, so yeah, let's keep going on here. Uh, zombie Dice. Zombie Dice is another example of uh, streaming it down to its essential elements because you're rolling dice and on these dice there's different results and some of the results, uh, I believe, are... Uh, 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 shotguns and if you get a certain uh, threshold uh, uh, you lose everything so you're trying to push that threshold of uh, the accumulation of I think it's brains I believe that you're trying to accumulate and uh, yeah so on the third shotgun you're done you lose everything Um, yeah and it's I mean and again it's a short game Uh, let's keep rolling down here we have uh, the Quacks of Quidlinburg, the push your luck, and I've played this game, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll mention games that I'm familiar with that I might not have played, and I'll me- definitely mention games that I've played, but uh, the games that I haven't played that are, that are you know, uh, um, ranked as push your luck, I, I probably won't mention them, so don't get upset with me if I, I miss a whole bunch of your favorite ones. Um, so yeah, in that zombie dice, there's Martian dice, and there's all these different kind of thematic iterations of it. Um, Another one is uh, Formula D or Day, um, and that one is uh, uh, for, like race uh, Formula One racing game. Just a little pause for a sip there. Um, and uh, the, I haven't played this game. I've seen it played, uh, and I so want to play it. But you use the different um, v- uh, dices. I think there's a D4, D6, D8, uh, D10, D12. I mean, it, it uses those kind of a, a, a D&D dice, right? But how it uses it is so cool because those dice represent the gears in your car. And if you can get into a higher gear, you get to use a bigger dice. But as you're coming into corners, and everybody knows who has their driver's license, that uh, you need to decelerate. And by decelerating means that at intervals, you switch down to a different dice as you're going into this turn. Because if you're going into this turn with the D20, you're going to hit the wall. So your push your luck idea is, when do I start um, gearing down, which is going down to a, a dice that, do, that doesn't really produce as much gain, but there's less risk, right? So that's very cool. Um, application of this mechanism and it's a race game so a lot of the times uh, I mean even if you risk and you hit the wall uh, the game's not over because there's a lot of people in front of you that have that same choice of risk and reward so they might make the bad choice hit the wall and you make at that point you make the the more intelligent safer decision and you know this the 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 tortoise and the hare thing right so um, yeah, that's kind of cool. I want to play that one a lot. Now, um, I went back to, I kind of jumped, I said Quacks of Quidlinburg, and then I got on, off on a tangent here. But um, yeah, Quacks of Quidlinburg, uh, the push your luck aspect in that game is uh, you're making potions. And in, in, in making potions, you, you have all of your elements or your items in this potion that represent little chits. Or in some, if you go to uh, Board Game Geek Market, you can get really cool resin ones. And uh, I'm going to stop for a little sip here. And so you, uh, in your choices in the game, you put these components into your cauldron, which is your bag. And when you go to make your potion, you start picking them out. And of course, in this game, the risk is that in this cauldron, there are um, choices or there are components that come out that uh, start to halt you, the progress of your potion to the point where uh, it might just blow up on you and and have not necessarily no. This is what I liked about this game. It, it wasn't that you risk everything and got nothing at the end. In Quacks and in, in Quacks, I'm not even going to say the second part. In Quacks, um, if you risk 
and push it and it explodes on you, there is still, um, uh, you still get something, but it is not as significant as the reward you would have received had you found, you made that choice at the right optimal uh, time. Now, again, you don't know what's optimal because it's all luck-based, right? Now, in this case, uh, you can mitigate that luck and that randomness by putting a lot of certain components in this bag by overpopulating it in comparison to the negative uh, components that come out to make your potion blow up. Now, uh, I've been told that, and again, this is that case where I've not played it, I've just heard about it, but um, I've been told that cubitose is very similar in how the mechanism is applied to as it is in quacks. But in this case, it's not a bag builder, uh, it's a dice face builder, right? Um, so yeah, that intrigues me a lot too. I like that idea. Now, uh, put, you know, putting aside the idea that dice hate me, so maybe I can have ones be the best thing because I tend to roll a lot of those. Uh, so yeah, there we go. So there's uh, those ones. And I'm going to, now again, they say uh, that, that Port Royal, uh, an Alexander Fister game, uh, it's a push your luck game. I, I've always wanted to play this game, but I don't know. I can't speak about its application to it, but I, I'm thinking it's a pirate-based theme game and pirates like treasure. And sometimes you, uh, you want to you know, take more chances than the other person. So uh, I could see how it could be applied to this theme and applied uh, you know, nicely. So um, yeah, let's go, let's go have another little search here. Um, uh, Archaeology, the card game. I have that game, and it's a set collecting game. Now, the push your luck aspect, this is one of those things where the push your luck aspect isn't the mechanism of the game. It's a choice you make in the scoring of the game. Because in this case, you're set collecting, but once you, uh, you're set collecting cards that represent parts of uh, an archaeological find. So let's say uh, it's, it's, uh, um, a sculpture. Well, you need, you know, maybe you need uh, three pieces. Now, in that sculpture series, on the bottom of the card, I'll say if you, if you hand in one card, it's worth one point. If you hand in, you know, you're set collecting scoring increments. The more you collect and put down, the more you push your luck to try and, and collect the, the uh, particular amount, like let's say there's eight of these cards in the whole deck, and you're hanging on to four of them. Well, do you cash that out for a, you know, average cost? Or do you hang on to them to try to see if you can keep digging through the deck, archaeologically speaking, and, and increase that value of that set before you cash it in? Now, that is the idea of the push your luck in that game. And I like it a lot because this uh, push your luck isn't really luck-based. You're, you're playing what's in the deck. You're also playing... The other players, because if you, um, if you, let's say, identify that you're trying to collect the certain ones, then a lot of the people are going to try and take that choice away from you. So there's a lot of uh, covertness involved in that. So that's pretty cool. Now let's continue with the idea of the, the pusher lock not being the mechanism, but being the system idea. And I want to talk about clank. Um, there's a, there's a regular Clank, which is the Dungeon Diver. There's Clank in Space, and both have a lot of expansions. And I am a big fan of both of those. I have Clank in Space. Now, the push your luck in this game is if you've not ever played any Clank, um, you're basically dungeon diving, right? You're trying to go deep into um, the board uh, level-wise, trying to descend. And the more you descend, the greater the reward. But at a certain point, um, I think the trigger is that uh, you need to get one of the large, uh, larger value items. Once that happens, you can immediately race to the exit and then the timer is on because there's always a big bad that is trying to uh, eliminate you. So the, the push your luck in this is not necessarily against the luck and randomness of the game, it's against the strategic choices of the players at the table because there's, I love this phrase, there's always going to be a player at the board that is a dine and dash kind of player who is going to go to the first cheapest one as fast as they can, get out and start the timer before anybody can get any points. Now, that can completely backfire 
if their deck doesn't synergistically work with their game plan, because I've seen a lot of uh, Dine and Dashers that get stuck and all of a sudden uh, their strategy's gone and, and they're, they're you know, close to exiting the, the game going, if I exit now, I don't have enough points to win. So they're, they're in a conundrum at this point. So yeah, I really like how uh, Clank um, uses this as a system uh, approach, game system approach to the, the push your luck. And uh, yeah, I, I, if, if you've not played, I'd say give it a chance, give it a try. And uh, yeah, if not, pick it up and play it. Let's look at a couple more here. Um, code names. Code names is kind of cool in the push your luck because it comes down to your in code names, you give a clue and you give a number. And there's this grid of words in front of you and you're trying to communicate to the person opposite you through code. Um, what is the, the, the synergistic connection to what you're offering as a code to what are the options on the board of the words that are connected to this? So let's say I say uh, um, uh, bizarre two. Well, I'm saying, okay, out of, the, out of this set of options, there are two cards here that connect with this idea of bizarre. Now, I would score those points. Now, the push your luck is, I, if I can connect even more and say bizarre four, well, then now I put the pressure on you to go, if you could guess those four cards, we get a big four points, right? Um, that is really cool in regards to how they approach that, uh, uh, that push your luck aspect. Now, um, when I talked about archaeology, the card game, in regards to this uh, set collecting, I completely forgot about Ticket to Ride. Because you could also say in that consideration of Push Your Luck that Ticket to Ride also has a Push Your Luck uh, aspect to it in regards to when do you claim those routes. And in claiming those routes, you might be predicting what your ticket is. And in doing so, asking for some, some board conflict, right? So, uh, yeah. And I, I mean... That's a great part of that game because it, it adds another nuance, which is so cool. And before I talk about the next game, I'm going to have a little coffee sip. All right. Um, I've played this next game, and uh, uh, the push-your-luck choices are devastating. Absolutely devastating. And this game is uh, This War of Mine, the board game. And uh, this is such a unique, bizarre game because it's... People, um, I mean, you could consider a war game, but it's not that type of war game. It's a war game, but thematically speaking, you're focusing on the civilians that are caught in the middle of the conflict. And uh, the pusher like aspect of this is when you're going uh, on little night sorties um, uh, as as the people in this this little house that you're trying to uh, survive the conflict. When you go out, uh, there are dangers every corner and uh, the push your luck is how long do you stay out because if you could stay out a long time and not get uh, killed by a sniper attacked by another gang you know all of these all these negative things that are out there to uh, hamper you um, the rewards are great but in this case thematically speaking the risk is devastating your character you're risking the life of your character um, sometimes if you're, you know, like the whole tabletop role play, um, if you're immersed into this game that, I mean, that emotionally can, uh, ha can have a person just cringe. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I the, the way they use this, uh, mechanism in this game, uh, is well thought, absolutely well thought because you weigh your decisions, you sit there and there you, it's risk reward. And you are taking your time with this. Not like can't stop. In this game, you are very much taking your time with this decision. So yeah, that's, uh, um, uh, that is uh, this war of mine. Um, and I think, uh, now again, uh, as far as this whole idea of, of that choice in that thematic moment, uh, I've never played this game, but I will include it, is Dead of Winter. Because I think Dead of Winter has that same idea as you're going out to find resources. And the longer, the longer you spend out there, the, 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 the chance uh, increases of the zombies. I think. I've never played, but that's what I understand. So I would group that one in there as well. And Dead of Winter, uh, I hear from a lot of people that they absolutely adore this game. So 
um, I would say, yeah, give it a try. I want, I mean, I will not turn down an opportunity to play that game. Um, and I will not turn down the opportunity to play this next game that uh, says that it qualifies as this mechanism. Uh, and I think maybe I, I know, but Sleeping Gods, uh, Ryan Lockett and Red Raven Games, uh, says that they use this. Now, again, Sleeping Gods is adventure. I can see easily how uh, a push-your-luck mechanism could be used in an adventure game in regards to how long do you stay out and, and accumulate resources before you stop to regenerate or to, you know, to rest or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, um, I would definitely be interested in, in playing that game. Um, a couple more before I wrap this up. Nemo's War. Um, Nemo's War 2nd Edition, I have that game. And the push your luck aspect is when you do challenges, you, there's three scales that you risk. You risk Nemo's sanity, you risk the integrity of the ship, and you risk uh, your crew. And uh, by, Because if you don't risk them, sometimes you just can't achieve the events or the objectives that you're playing towards. So again, in that case, wow, the, the, the risk is, I mean, you, you see the risk. Not like, again, not like Can't Stop where the, the risk is just a number. In this case, there is a thematic connection to the negative results of that risk taking. So, yeah, um, if you've not, and now Nemo's War is pretty much a solo game. So go go into that understanding that. Um, yeah, you know what? I think uh, I think I'm happy about uh, about the games that I've I've presented to you uh, to you know to to include into this. Uh, into this genre, this mechanism, not genre, my, my bad, this mechanism of push your luck. And uh, so that being said, um, I always, always thank you for listening to what uh, is being said about board games and why this is such an awesome hobby. And uh, I'm your host, Norm, and we'll catch you later. <laughs> This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.